Hi, this is Andrea Borcha. And I'm Charles Wilchin. This is Farsta. The Internet of Things podcast. Well, this is John McDonald. I'm the CEO of Cloud One. Cloud One's a company that helps really large companies manage all of the work that they do around building Internet of Things devices, analytics and the software that goes in them and how they bring those things to the marketplace. Working with these legacy companies, do you find there's a particular challenge that you come across as you're trying to get them into this IoT world and into the cloud? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is status quo, honestly, Andrea. The, the, the reason I say that is because a lot of these companies make very complicated, sophisticated technical products, be they automotive components or medical devices or aerospace and defense, consumer electronics. And so as a result, they're very technical people and very intelligent people and often feel as if anything that's technical is something that they can overcome including operating the environments and the platforms, even building the things that they use to, to make those devices. But you know, sometimes they're not that good at it, frankly. It's not a core competency of theirs. That's obviously where we come in to be able to help them you know, do that work better so they can t- concentrate on building their product. But the truth is, the biggest resistance we often have is, is status quo. It's let's keep trying to do this ourselves with our own people. And, and overcoming that is uh, probably the biggest challenge. Interesting. So a company is doing a new Internet of Things product. And how do they find you? Increasingly, they find us through the web or from other people that are doing similar things in a similar industry, which is really great for us. Um, So they've heard about the work that we've done at another customer or they came from another customer and started a new job in a new place and and we're used to having a great environment to do their work in and, and, uh, and don't at the new spot. And so they like, ah, we need to call those guys from Cloud One. And, it, you know, and how do we overcome those challenges related to a you know, status quo or inertia? Yeah, I'll give you a, I'll give you one story. There's a <clears throat> very, very large consumer electronics company that you would definitely know the name of that put us through a whole series of uh, security reviews, security reviews. And we can talk more about that too later about some of our challenges in those areas as well. But those, that security review was really just a red herring to the owners of the program to give up this silly idea of moving to the cloud. They just kept sending them through and sending them through and sending them through until we discovered that the servers that they used to manage all of their global product development were stuffed under somebody's cubicle. <laughs> so uh, That's a little terrifying. Yeah, very terrifying. Such that, you know, if the cleaning crew hit it with a vacuum the wrong way, they'd be dead globally. So uh, <laughs> once that was revealed, miraculously, the project moved ahead a lot faster. In fact, the people that were uh, putting up all the adoption resistance from the IT organization uh, had to go find other jobs, as a matter of fact, we heard later. But as they should yeah, have. As they should yeah. have, as they should have. But that's a common we used to say that there were three, three types of people we had to deal with. People that hated the cloud, people that loved the cloud, and then the worst kind was people that said that they loved the cloud, but really hated the cloud. That's sort of the passive-aggressive <laughs> ones, right? Yeah. So, uh, so gotcha. So you're not only evangelizing for Cloud One necessarily, but you have, you have to deal with people who 
really haven't gotten on the whole cloud bandwagon. Well, right, because all we do is out of a cloud, and you have sort of a precursor to that. Certainly, the kinds of clouds we do are called virtual private clouds. We can talk about that too in a bit. But but yeah, you have to buy into the whole cloud idea. You know, the reality is that the cloud is not a a technical innovation, right? Uh, nobody you know invented the cloud. Al Gore did not invent the cloud, like he. The internet. Uh, it's it's uh, it's instead sort of a group of technologies that have conspired to make available this method of delivering in- infrastructure and IT and IT services. If anything, what it is is more of a revolution in how you procure IT things. Tell the story metaphorically. You know, if I was going to open a law office and I needed uh, electricity to you know, power my photocopier and my coffee machine. Now, I call up the power company and I say, build me a power plant, please. Put it in my parking lot. Make it a big one because I drink a lot of coffee and I'll pay you to build it. I'll pay you to maintain it. Nobody does that. They call up the power company and they say, hook me up and you pay for what you use. But that's not what we've been doing in information technology. We've been building power plants. We call them server rooms. Right. And we, we haul in all our stuff and we put these scary signs on the door and say, you know, biometric locks and all these things. Don't go anywhere near it. It'll shock you or whatever. And <clears throat> what's happened is as businesses have become more internet connected, more savvy of the marketplace, more distributive of their internal resources into lines of business, those lines of businesses are looking around and saying, you know, my IT organization, frankly, is not that good at running a power plant. I have options. I can go to companies that will do it exactly the way I want, exactly how I want it, and I can pay for it as a part of my normal operating expense of my department or my division. And I don't even have to ask for capital expenditures. I can just you know source what I want when I want it. And that's that's really what's behind the cloud. It's not a technology thing. It's a it's a shift in how businesses are grabbing and using IT infrastructure. Having worked in the tech industry, I didn't know anyone was still struggling with the idea that on-demand computing power was somehow exotic. So that's that's an interesting point of yeah, view. It still is a problem, to be sure. You guys start off as a DevOps shop? Yeah, our, our root kit is in managing development environments. So you're really good at that? Yes, we are very good at it. And, and what's great about it is it's, as we like to joke, it's something like the gateway drug for Internet of Things. Oh, how so? Well, a lot of the... Um, color and light show that's going on right now in the internet of things space is focused on devices. And, and there's some, some degree of validity of that, you know, what does the device do and what chip do I put in it or what network does it connect to? And all that is important and needs to be figured out. But the real heavy lifting, um, we think anyway, of internet of things is, is the back end of the equation. It's how do I integrate it with the services and databases and decision support systems and business operational things that that I need to integrate it with in order to make that device truly useful and to monetize the data that's coming from it. And so our root in not only helping companies develop and maintain those, those pieces of software that drive their business, but also in helping them build the software that gets embedded into the device puts us, we think, in a pretty cool position to be able to leverage that secure connectivity and those relationships and trusted advisor relationships that we have with companies to help them bridge them into this Internet of Things space. One of our 
uh, one of our customers is uh, a company, well-known company called uh, Hilton. They run, you know, hotels, uh, and um, they them. have a. You probably have, and they have a. Uh, they have a, 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 a new service that they're rolling out called called Digital Key. And what Digital Key does is it allows you to use your cell phone, your smartphone, to not only make a reservation at a Hilton property, but also to unlock the door to your room using your phone. So you don't need to check in anymore. No, you just, you your phone knows you're there and you just go into a room. Walk. You don't need a front desk staff. Nope. Walk right past the front desk, right to your room. And so the, there's sort of some future, futuristic implications of that, but also some pretty mundane technical challenges. The futuristic implications obviously are, well, what else could you do for this tra- wary traveler if you knew that they were in front of the room to the right room and they were on their way? I could make available your favorite newspapers. I could make available your uh, favorite dinner. Uh, we could get your luggage for you from the airport and bring it right to your room because we knew you were sp- where you were supposed to be. There's all kinds of value-added services that Hilton could offer in the future as a result of just knowing where you are by tagging your cell phone and, and not just unlocking the door, but unlocking it to a whole lot of other things. The technical challenge, though, is more mundane, which is all of the information about where you're supposed to be, you know, have you paid for the room? Is your credit card valid? Are you in front of the right room? Is the room rented? What's your point balance? All that stuff is essentially on a, a set of mainframe computers, you know, in the headquarters of, of Hilton. So thousands is of that miles mainframes? Out. Yes. Is that a thing that yeah. exists? <laughs> it sure does. Wow. It sure does. And that's where all the systems of record, if you will, are in many of the wow. large companies. And so how do you connect a cell phone to a mainframe? Not, not easy. And so that involves a lot of software, to be sure, and a lot of expertise about that kind of integration. And that's what we're, frankly, pretty good at. It seems that when you're selling this idea of, to, of IoT and, and software and cloud to companies, that the flexibility and the futuristic uh, high-tech implications are definitely the, uh, the frosting on top of the cake. But I'm sure they're also pretty intimidated about security. I mean, they're, they're collecting credit card information. You want to make sure that somebody can't just hack into a room if it's all cell phone controlled. Uh, how do you deal with those particular challenges? What we've tried to do with our customers is right out of the gate, attempt to make a differentiation between what are real security issues and what are perceived security issues. So a real security issue is, is ensuring that your credit card number is in hack when you do this transaction. That's a real security issue, right? A perceived security issue is that the cloud is somehow less secure to do these things in, as an example, than, than if I own the equipment that was, that was running through it. Um, to give you a different example, metaphorical example, let's say you went to, to you were sitting at your computer at home and you... Um, and you, and you went to something like Amazon.com and you ordered a book and you get to that screen where you put in your credit card number and everybody gets this feeling in the pit of their stomach, you know, as they're typing in the numbers, you know, it's secure, but you still feel like, mm, you know, it's, I hope it's secure. I hope it's fine. 
I actually think the uh, the someone else being able to open my hotel room is probably a little <laughs> right, bit more right, sketchy exactly. for me. It's, a little, it's two o'clock in yeah, the morning and some I chain 15 year old hacker <laughs> taking his iPhone to my hotel door. Yeah, the chair in front of it starting now. Exactly, <laughs> right? exactly right. But then but then let's say to continue that story, you get up and, and you're like, oh, that feeling in the pit of your stomach is actually hunger, you, as it turns out. So you, go, <laughs> so you go out and you have lunch, right? And at the end of lunch... You hand the waiter your credit card with the numbers on it and your signature and he walks away with it and you don't even think anything of it, right? What's the difference between the feeling you get when you type in the credit card number on Amazon and the lack of any concern about giving your whole card with its numbers to the waiter? And the the difference is that in the case of the waiter, you are developing as fleeting as it might be a personal relationship a human-to-human contact, such that if you get an errant charge on your credit card statement the following month, your mind immediately goes to the waiter. You don't even think about Amazon. You think about the waiter. He's the one. Because it's sort of like a, a, a compact of trust between you and that, wa- and that waiter. So the perceived issue and the real issue, the real issue is security of your credit card number. The perceived issue is what is trustworthy versus not trustworthy, right? And so what we found is, in that case, you have to create personal relationships with your customers so that they know who you are and know the people that are behind what it is that you're doing so that you feel comfortable and trust them as members of your team, as opposed to this nameless, faceless computer system like Amazon, which provides some degree of perceived lack of security, even though it's far more secure than, in my example, the waiter is. Well, to be fair to the paranoid, <laughs> you know, we read about hack after hack after hack. There's there's Target. There's, um, I think, Aetna. Well, and then Blue Cross Blue Shield. And then there's just recently been a lot of articles because the government's starting to freak out so, about IoT security in particular, well, that if we all get yeah. IoT connected devices that hackers can just kind of start opening your doors, turning on your lights, turning off your security. So I think, I think that actually speaks well for cloud one in the sense that, look, these aren't, these in theory aren't cloud-based systems that are being hacked. It's just that their system is a cloud-based target to everyone else that isn't within their intranet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's poorly secured. So yeah, I think, I think the fact that you guys have expertise with that is a good thing, especially it sounds like you have, uh, expertise with uh, HIPAA level compliance and and well, yeah, can actually that, work those with are them. real security issues, right? My my medical information is should be mine and mine only, and I want no one knowing it other than me. And so regulations and standards like HIPAA compliance, you know, unfortunately, as it would surprise you not, don't always <laughs> keep up with the reality of the technology, right? What we found is. Things like that are often more about the people and that touch a system than the systems themselves. In other words, have they been through the proper training in order to know how to handle this information well? Uh, are they, you know, the proper background that they can demonstrate some degree of integrity in regards to their operating these things, which, by the way, are important things, right? But they're not. Yeah. And do they know not to plug in like USB sticks they find on the ground (laughs) into their computer? Things like that. And those are important things. Don't get me wrong, but they're not necessarily the entire answer, right? Just saying you're HIPAA compliant doesn't necessarily 
tell you much about any anything other than hey they've got some trained staff on board that in theory should know what they're doing right so there's there's a lot more to it than that and conveying that sort of trusted advisor status with your customers really an important part of the process for us in getting to know the company and and them getting to know us yeah it's interesting it almost feels like there's uh two different types of trust relationships you need to create one do i trust uh, the actual person that I'm meeting that represents Hilton or or whatever or the hospital, and two, do I trust the hospital enough to know that they've gone the extra mile to make the technological commitment right. to security right. that I need? You're exactly correct, and that's sort of a that's sort of a cerebral versus technical, and it's sort of a perceived versus real security issues, right? And sifting through those things, particularly as the systems become more interconnected. And the devices that we use are now sending data and sort of, in a way, betraying us by, by the data that they're sending and maintaining control over that and visibility to that. Boy, it's going to become even more and more complicated than it is already. That's for sure. So, John, you've worked with a lot of companies. You've done, you've uh, implemented, you know, pieces of your platform or the whole platform with a, a few different products and stuff. How do you kind of educate your customers as you start a project? Because presumably... There's a million things they haven't thought about in terms of uh, putting together a solution that you can kind of help them with. And they may not be prepared to necessarily pay all those costs, but it's it's incredibly important to their own success. How do you help them not (laughs) hurt themselves inadvertently by not understanding what they're doing? If that makes sense. It does make sense. And what we found is, is that fear of how to get started has paralyzed a lot of companies that, you know, could be leaders, could be maybe even historically have been leaders in applying technology to their business. They maybe they're even known for it. But the, these challenges related to how do I secure data? How, what data do I collect? What is it telling me? How do I leverage and monetize it? These are such scary concepts to them that in many cases, they're paralyzed into a state of analysis paralysis, meaning all they do is attend conferences and <laughs> websites and review, 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 and never do. And so our opening sales strategy, if you will, but our opening moments of our time together will always be spent just trying to understand what the company is trying to do. In some ways, it's trying to be a, a friend of the friendless, right? And try to figure out how to create some sort of value there and see where it takes us. Uh, we... We never go into a customer with the idea that the this one's going to be like any other one. They're all different because uh, they're all companies that are making unique products that are differentiated in the marketplace. Even if we're working with competitors of another one of our existing customers, their products are differentiated to partial or complete degree in the marketplace. And we have to respect that and, and start with understanding them first. And so just reaching out and having that sort of, we understand you, we understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and let's talk about what value you want to get out of this, what ways do you want to monetize the data from these devices, and let's see where the pilot leads us, and let's see where our relationship goes. With regard to, I mean, you've got all these different competitors, and you've got all these different companies that in theory, probably have data that would be really interesting to each other. Uh, How does it work when you're uh, building these virtual private clouds so everyone keeps their own customer data secure, 
but I'm sure at some point, some of these companies would want to work together or, uh, you know, as customers are becoming more a pile of data across multiple sites and multiple interactions, especially now with IOT, you know, where do you see that going with the, you know, my, my personal data stream? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And it's sort of a, a compound issue. Let me paint the picture for where I think it's going, and then I'll back into the more mundane answer about you know how do we how do we affect that? I think that you know at the heart of inter- the Internet of Things is the idea of monetizing data, the idea that there is a stream of data that can be had from any device that in and of itself is not necessarily super valuable, but once collected analyzed, maybe even correlated to other data, begins to take on an extremely high level of value, not only to the company that made the device, but to the consumer themselves. More on that in a minute, you know, where I think that really leads us from that collaboration idea. But we respected that thought process from the beginning. So when the company started, the, the team that built our first platform created something that they called an island architecture. And without getting too down in the weeds, it's essentially a cloud of one. It's a cloud that is dedicated to a single customer. It, it uses shared infrastructure for economic reasons, but from a virtual machine layer and network layer up, each machine, virtual machine is meshed into the internal private network of the, of the customer such that you know, when you come in in the morning and log into the network, you see all these servers appear on your local network as if they were local, except that they're not. They're in a cloud, a cloud of one, your cloud. By the way, that's how the company got its name, Cloud One. <laughs> the technical trickery behind that has, has evolved to a point where this method of clouds is now commonly called a virtual private cloud. Although, unfortunately, even though we helped to invent it, we failed to patent it. <laughs> which is unfortunate or I'd be calling in today from uh, from my yacht uh, but <laughs> but but we do oh you're no, not on your yacht sorry, now? <laughs> I'm not very much not actually with the virtual private cloud in this whole cloud of one w- when you build that does it mean that I have a cloud of one within whatever larger entity you're working with so for example like a Hilton or an IBM or is it is my individual cloud something that actually becomes part of me regardless of which major corporation I'm interacting with? That's a great question. And that leads you a little bit to where we think it might be going. Today, the answer is that each company that contracts with Cloud One gets their own custom IoT platform, which is in our minds very much the intersection of the development environment in which they make the device and the systems and software that support the device intersected with the analytics tools that we use to analyze and collect the data coming from the device. Today, that means on a customer by customer basis, each one gets their own cloud, or it could even be sub sub sized in that division by division or department by department. But that begins to get you a little bit into how this may, may go in the future. So, let me tell you a different story and then, then explain how maybe that comes together you know, in a cloud of one, which is you. So let's say you're driving down the road and your car notices that you're not keeping your lane uh, as effectively as you did you know, an hour ago. You're wandering a little bit. 
and it, and it knows that it's 3 a.m. So it thinks that you might be tired. So it also knows that two exits up is a 24-hour Starbucks and that you like double chai lattes. So up on the dashboard comes the, or the heads up display, most likely comes the question, would you like a double chai latte available at this next exit with a map? And if you say yes, it knows your payment information. So it beams that information ahead to the store, placing the order so that when you get to that exit, you know, you can go right through the drive through maybe even with some degree of assisted steering, uh, pick up your double chai latte, which is hot and ready to go. It's already been paid for and drive on the car, thus having saved its own life and yours, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, which that sounds very Star Trek-ish, right? What I just said. It does. I like, though, that it's, which is more important, the car saving its own life or right, is it really doing right, it for you? Right. It's very aligned. They're very aligned. But the reality is all of what I just described from a technological perspective is already inside the infotainment systems that are shipping in cars today. So it's not as Star Trekish as it sounds. What, what the challenge is, you see, though, is all of those data points, spatial awareness, driver behavior, past patterns, preferences, payment information, a store system integration. Each of these elements, each of themselves, is not, frankly, that interesting. They only become interesting when you collect them all and, and correlate them and then infer from them, you need coffee. So that is, in our belief, really where the Internet of Things is going. Today, we're still at the stage where we're still trying to figure out how to help companies collect the data. Right, So the company that made the car radio, uh, the company that made the coffee, uh, the company that made the GPS chip, all of those companies are right now at the stage where they're looking to create their first generation IoT platform that allows them to just get that data, uh, mostly today for the purposes of supporting the product that they sold you, like as in Whirlpool sending you new hoses for your clothes washer because your clothes washer called and said it needs new hoses, right? This is valuable stuff, right? From a consumer support perspective. But ultimately, what you need to be able to do is correlate those data points and infer a higher level thing, which is that you need coffee. Now, the question becomes, who does that correlation and collection and inference? Is it Ford that made my vehicle? Uh, is it Panasonic Automotive Systems that made the radio that's in the vehicle? Is it is it Starbucks? Or is it a third party that allows me to control my digital data DNA? And probably sift out the meaningless data because probably along the drive and through your whole life, there's a ton of data that wouldn't be relevant to the coffee right or, in that moment. Or that, or, the, or that you don't want to reveal. You've hit it right on the head, right? Because there's other people that might be interested in the fact that you're weaving your lane. Uh, the state police department would be. Well, and, and some of them may be bad actors, too. Right, right. Uh, Hilton probably, too, wants to know that, right? They want to offer me a hotel room, right? But the last thing I want is my, my car radio spamming me as I drive out on the road, right? Right. With all these offers, right? So some way, there needs to be a way to control these data points, right? And not necessarily just whether or not I'm sending them. Because I might very well want Panasonic to be sending information about the fact that my radio is working or not working, but I may not want Panasonic to aggregate that data with all these other points and sell it, if you will, 
in order to spam me about coffee and hotel rooms. And so what has to evolve in the future, not so distant future, is a way for you to control your cloud. But in this case, it's your cloud of data, the sort of cloud that follows you around something like, you know, pig pen in the old peanuts cartoons, right? I have this cloud of data, you know, that trails behind me and belies where I've been and what I'm doing and maybe what I need or, or want to buy. You need to be in control of that ultimately. Something like a credit record, right? In your control of your credit credit bureau, you know, record, a similar thing will likely have to evolve. And to be honest with you, that gets back to your question earlier about, you know, what if these companies wanted to work with each other on this data? Well, they do. They will. Right. And so how do you facilitate secure, controlled conversations, if you will, amongst these data points as the consumer and producer of the data? That business model has yet to arrive. And I think what will happen, you know, over the next, let's call it five to seven years, is a very interesting economy of data uh, related to uh, Internet of Things that I can then leverage and hopefully control and put to work on my behalf so that I'm only getting offers for what I really need and what I really want and not all the stuff that I don't. Hey, so John, are you... Are you planning to help to be involved in that effort to define standards, protocols, uh, rules of the road, policy to do that? Or are you are you kind of just uh, sitting back and, and helping out your customers now and you'll just kind of pay attention to whatever comes down the pike? Oh, no, we plan to be very involved. In fact, we help to create an organization called the Customer Cloud Standards Council, ccsc.org. And it now has some 700 plus member companies. Actually, we lost track. We're one of 10 companies that helped to found this. Oh, great. In order to help to define some of those cloud standards and also to provide information, mainly to companies, about how to leverage those standards. And, and we, we, are, we intend to be very active in that and also in helping define that data economy in the future. But truthfully speaking, that's a bit off, a bit, bit of a ways off for, for the moment. Yeah, um, but for now, do you provide best practices? What is the, what is the industry, um, what does the organization provide to the customers right yeah, now? You, you bet. It's about the right practices, adherence to the right standards, even as the standards are evolving. It's about making sure that we are laying down patterns of good behavior that might later be codified into standards and perhaps even later regulations. We're very actively uh, self-exam ourselves in that regard to make sure that you know everything we do is full of integrity, first and foremost, for our customers who trust us uh, with some very important things that are very critical to their companies, but then later down the road become the bones of how you can have this data economy around the Internet of Things um, you know, be done right in the future. And from a consumer perspective, I would really, really like to see the analog of a good housekeeping seal of approval for a company that respects my data and allows me to have some, some modicum of control. You bet you would. I would too. And we all would. That, that thought of how scary it is when everyone knows where you're at and eh, I'm not sure I want that, right? I want to be able to control that. And it's already a little bit of out of the bag to some degree. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's an understatement. But the challenge, I, I definitely see a challenge with spam. Cause I mean, even now I, I can't stop getting phone calls from people that are trying to sign me up for solar energy or credit cards or the U S post office. We're getting mail all the time and, and my email. And it's, 
Now imagine my car, my fridge, my security system, my keys, my everything now is is just another avenue for somebody to advertise to me because they think I may have once stopped at a Starbucks. I mean, getting the data to be accurate and having some sort of self-control and the marketing advertising side, I think that's, that's a huge challenge. I mean, the alternative, (laughs) the alternative is for, for people to do for IOT, what they've done on the web, which is ad blockers suddenly become so pervasive that everyone loses. I mean, you can imagine people buying routers that block any communication between IOT devices and, you know, their makers just so they, they know that the data isn't getting leaked. And that yeah. probably isn't a great solution for your customers. No, because there's because there are going to be ways and there are already ways today that you will want to offer up that data because you as a consumer are getting some value from that. Definitely. And, and so there's got to be ways to manage manage that. And it's also driving even some interesting questions in how we go collect that data. I mean, my parents, I love them dearly, but you know, there's no way they're going to be able to put an SSID <laughs> into their clothes washer, right? It's not going to happen, right? And so how do you make it so simple that you all you have to do is uh, roll in a clothes washer into your house and plug it into the wall, and now it's connected. And, and so there's a lot of companies trying to figure that out. Um, for instance, Google, no slouch in this department, has uh, made a purchase of a company called Nest a few months ago, um, which, of course, Nest makes smart thermostats. And you may scratch your head and say, uh, why would that be interesting, right? Well, that's the answer is that it's pretty much one thing that everyone has, either in their house or their apartment, is a thermostat. Very likely, nearly 100% of the places where people live have a thermostat somewhere on the wall. And so that becomes a very powerful potential hub or collection point for data in the home, potentially to allow you to make uh, simple connections that don't require SSIDs or other things to be able to do that. One of Cloud One's customers is a company that makes garage door openers, which you may say, well, what does that have to do with IoT? Well, fully half of their R&D budget is on IoT, because what's another thing every house has, <laughs> right, is a garage door opener. And so that, again, it's this example of you know the data, my garage is open, or my garage is closed, or my garage is opening, doesn't sound that interesting in and of itself. But you can quickly see how it would be very useful to a security company, uh, to the local pizza place that I'm home and now I'm ready to deliver, uh, to my, my family, to myself when I'm not at home. Why is my garage door opening? That little piece of data, it now becomes a very powerful key that unlocks a lot of other potential goods and services and support things just by knowing if the garage door is open. So again, it all comes back to how do I manage that data stream? How do I um, make sure that my product is able to produce it? How can I get value from it today from a monetization of that data so that it drives the costs of the project to embed that technology. But later, how does it become this um, inference engine that allows me to know what goods and services I might need as a result of correlating those different data points in a hopefully secure way and most especially a controlled way by me as the consumer? I think that's great. Hey, do you have any, have you done any integrations with AllJoin or HomeKit yet? Some of our customers have definitely done that. CarPlay for Apple, other sorts of interesting, you know, frameworks, 
right, for creating uh, device connectivity more more simplistically. One of the things that we've we've seen though, which is interesting, I think, is that a lot of uh, companies that we work with, which are very large corporations in most cases, have struggled to pick up and use and apply uh, some of those IoT oriented frameworks you know, very rapidly or very easily, which sounds puzzling because, you know, you'd think that that would be, you know, early adopters of that as sort of acceleration kits into getting into the IoT space. The, the problem, though, that we found for that is that many companies are already making, you know, devices uh, for the Internet of Things. In many cases, they've been doing it for, for several years. So to give you an example, one of our customers is a very large manufacturer of, of home appliances. And they have some degree of smarts that are baked into those home appliances and have for some number of model years. Uh, if they were to pick up and use one of these frameworks, they've got sort of two major problems. First of all, it, it alienates, uh, if you will, all of the devices they've already put out into the marketplace. Because they don't use that framework, they they use something else. So now I'm sort of starting over again, right, with something new. Uh, and then the second issue is it will take some time then for those devices to find their way into consumers' homes. It could take several years in the case of a, an appliance manufacturer to get enough, if you will, user base of their appliances in homes and otherwise to make the data coming back from that framework to, to be useful. And so as a result, they really can't afford to drop what it is that they're doing and start over again. They need to figure out how to leverage uh, what they're already doing and, and build on it, if you will, embrace and extend it into new Internet of Things applications rather than starting over with a, with a ready-made framework. Things like you know, HomeKit and CarPlay and other things are, are you know, I think, surprisingly slow to be adopted, surprised, surprisingly so for many pundits, I su- suspect, but not when you understand that there's a real challenge for companies to pick up and use those things because it challenges them to be able to leverage what they're already doing. Yeah. The, the fact that you have to ship atoms changes everything. I mean, Facebook can get away with pushing out, you know, 40 different tiny updates during the day, but yeah, having worked for hardware companies before, it is a whole different level of pain to ship physical products and you really i can understand where they might want the standards to settle down for a couple years before they really think hard about adding that to their uh, products yeah well for the customers too right because as a customer i don't i'd be really ticked off if my washing machine is now considered you know out of date and i bought it last year because you decided to switch all the software now and it's not not going to I mean well, that this, this happened in a fairly famous way with the OnStar system that was a very early frankly internet of things application that was built into a lot of General Motors vehicles as you may know uh, a system that allowed you to call you know in an emergency mainly for for help and support but also had a sort of a family of other services like navigation and other sorts of things attached to it well, they had to make a shift from analog cell phone technology to digital cell phone technology. And as a result, it essentially made useless all of the OnStar systems in any vehicles before a certain date when they made that shift. It's a very real problem. And if you think about it this way, in the consumer electronics space, that might be a three to five year issue, right? 
it's only going to be three to five years before you replace a, a personal stereo system or a portable speaker or, or something like that. But in the appliance space, that's a five to 10 year problem, right? Because you, right. And then if you start to get into things like aerospace and defense, that's a 25 to 30 year problem, right? Where anything that's in a device today is expected to last, you know, a, a quarter quarter century to a half century in service, right? And so not an easy thing for these companies to just give up on what is they built to these things and start over again. Thanks so much for joining us, John. And uh, we look forward to seeing what else uh, Cloud One can do as you guys uh, advance with all the other major players in the industry. It was a great pleasure talking to you both today. And thanks for the opportunity to share our story. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Far Stuff, the Internet of Things podcast. You can find us on the internet at farstuff.com and at farstuff on Twitter. Get in touch with us using the contact form at farstuff.com or email us at podcast at farstuff.com. And this brings us to the end of our thing. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. 